Hello, welcome to our new season of the Rich Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries, and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they became them, and what tips they for girls of my age. Today, my guest is Laura Souter, who is currently the head of personal finance at AJ Bell. Laura is also the co-host of our Money Matters podcast, which tackles finances from a female perspective, and a whole lot more than that too. I'm also delighted that AJ Bell are supporting our summit at the Etihad soon. Thanks for joining me today, Laura. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role you have today? Yeah, of course. So um, I started out doing journalism at university. So I studied to be a journalist um, and I loved doing that. I loved the degree. Um, and then I graduated at a time just after the financial crisis when it was pretty tricky to find a job. So I worked for a while at a news agency, um, which I often refer to a bit like a news sweatshop where you had to just churn out loads and loads of very short stories in a quick space of time. But it was quite a good training ground for writing very quickly um and then after that really i kind of fell into the finance world so financial publications were some of the only ones hiring after the last financial crisis because people wanted to read about their finances they wanted to know what was going on and how things that were going on you know in politics and in the economy were going to impact them and so i kind of fell into that industry and then worked for various publications. I just really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed having a niche that I could learn about um, and that I could, um, you know, really delve into. It took me on some good opportunities. I worked for different publications. I had a couple of years in New York, which was very fun working out there. Um, and then I ended up working for the Daily Telegraph, a newspaper, um, as their investment editor um, and getting to do lots of interesting investment stories, um, interviewing a lot of really interesting people, um, uh, which I really loved. And I got to launch a podcast there, started to do a bit of broadcast stuff, so TV and radio stuff there. Um, I really enjoyed that, which is then what ultimately took me to the role that I have now at AJ Bell. Um, the opportunity came up to be a spokesperson for them. Um, and so I shifted over and it means that I spend my days talking to journalists about things that are happening. So at the moment, it's a lot of talking about interest rates, um, about the cost of living crisis, about mortgages, um, lots of things like that, but also still talking a bit about investing. Um, and I get to do lots of fun things like do live TV and radio, um, speak to journalists and provide quotes to them um, and do a lot of kind of digging through data as well, which is the geek in me really loves. So when you were at school, did you have any idea about what you wanted to do or did that happen perhaps later in life? Um, I don't think I really did know what I wanted to do at school. At one point I decided I wanted to be a doctor and so then I picked all science A-levels with a view of trying to get into medical school. And then I realised I didn't really like science at A-level and I wasn't very good at it. So I had to ditch that plan. Um, and so then somehow I kind of shifted into doing journalism and studying journalism. And I can't really exactly 
pinpoint why that happened. I do remember when I was um, much younger, my sister and I would make up our own like radio shows and record them. Um, so maybe there was some sort of love of it from an early age. But no, I would say that it wasn't like I, um, you know, from the age of seven knew exactly what I wanted to do in life. Yeah, definitely. So I know that you went to the University of Sheffield, but how important do you think it actually is to go to university, especially with, you know, graduate schemes and apprenticeship schemes that lots of companies now offer to young people? Yeah, I, I really struggle with this one. So I think when um when I was going into university, which was a while ago now, I think it was kind of just assumed that everyone would go to university. If you got good grades, you would go to university. Um, And I loved my experience at, at university and I really enjoyed that experience of living away from home for the first time, but also everything that I learned on my course. But crucially, when I went to university, it was much cheaper than it is now. And I think... I would struggle today to pay that amount of money for a three year degree when there are so many other viable options of getting into work. So, you know, apprenticeship schemes where you can still get a degree, but your employer pays for it and you're also earning a wage at the same time. I think it's really great that there's so many more options and there's not just this. You either go to university or you go straight into work. There's so many other options. And I think particularly going into something like journalism where you could learn it really well on the job. I think I would struggle to pick university today, but I still did love my experience at the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the world is changing so much and also very quickly. It is quite scary. I'm not even going to lie. But what do you think work for women may look like in 10 years time or what do you maybe hope it may look like? I hope that things will keep improving and keep evolving. I think if I think back to, you know, when my mum was starting out in the world of work versus me, I think so many perceptions and things are different, but I think there's still a long way to go. I hope ultimately that we'll get to the position where it really doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman when you are getting hired for a role, when you're picking what degree to go to, um, when you're up for a promotion. I would just hope that we get to a point where there's no differing views, but um, I think we've got quite a long way to go to there. But I'm quite I'm very positive that that we'll continue to see more and more change um, as kind of society changes. Yeah, definitely. And I hope I mean, we have got some way to go, but it seems to improving fair, like fairly quickly. And hopefully, say, in 10 years time, it'll be a lot further in the point that we want to be than it is now. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think there's lots of room for optimism. I think um, I think particularly around childcare is one area that I think um, could really change so, and, and has really changed. If I think about my generation's approach to having kids and how that is shared between um, the mum and dad versus my parents' generation, I think that's changed dramatically. And that has such a big impact on the world of work, because if children aren't just seen as a, you know, a woman's thing, woman's issue, then I think we'll get much more parity. Definitely. So throughout your career, have you had any mentors or have there been anyone that you particularly admire? I've worked with some really great people and there's definitely been a lot of people I particularly admire I thought for this I try and think of kind of influential women that I've worked with mm -hmm. I've worked in a bit of a cross-section of very male-dominated industries so journalism is very male-dominated and finance is very male-dominated so um 
but I've had some really, I'd, I've had the fortune to work with some really um, impressive women. My first editor, actually, when I started out, um, she was a woman and she had worked there for a really long time. And she really broke a lot of boundaries. At that time, women didn't get to editor level. Um, and she said she constantly walked in a room and it was assumed she was the receptionist or the secretary rather than the editor. And she broke a lot of boundaries there. And I think that that was really important and paved the way. Um, and she was also very good at hiring lots of um, females on her team to continue that. More recently, I've worked with Helena Morrissey, who was the former chair of AJ Bell. Um, but she's done some amazing work uh, campaigning for greater female representation in business. Um, and I really admire all of the work that she's done and the way that she's gone about it, kind of just setting a goal and then working out how she's going to bring about um, that real change. Um, and then I think my original mentor is my mum, who is the first person I call anytime I have some sort of career dilemma um, or just general personal dilemma. But so I think she was a, a really impressive woman for her time in that she stopped working altogether to have children, as was quite normal then. When I was eight, she went back to work and she built this entire career from that point onwards and became the main breadwinner in our house. Um, so I think that's a really good example of how even if you take a break out or even if your career isn't your first priority when you're younger, you can still build a really impressive career and get very senior in your industry. Definitely. So as part of our Richness Generation Summit, we look at diversity and opportunity for young girls from the black and minority communities. So do you think as a society, we are seeing more quality in all areas of our lives and maybe specifically in finance? I think so. I think we're seeing improvements, but there's a long way to go. And I think what's really good is that there's specific um, schemes set up now to help boost the diversity in the industry. So finance has typically just been a white man's industry and um I think there's so many efforts to improve that, both on the gender side, but also on the um, ethnic diversity side as well. And so some, there's something called the Diversity Project, which is really cool, and it's trying to help um, build up that diversity in the industry. And there's lots of different schemes like that that I really hope will help push this forward. But I think there is a lot more to be done. Yeah, definitely. So, um. Do you still have any personal professional ambitions that you wish to fulfil in the future? Yeah, definitely. And I think I'm never one for I'm not someone who has a five year plan or a 10 year plan. I don't have a kind of rigid structure of how I want my career to progress. But I just think I always want to take on new challenges that that interest me, that I find um, you know, exciting to do and that I enjoy doing. So I think there's so many more things that. I would like to achieve, but I just don't necessarily, you know, map them out. Yeah, definitely. So earlier you mentioned that you kind of worked in New York for a while. Can you mm. tell me a little bit, maybe just like what you learned while you were there and kind of your experience there too? Yeah, definitely. So um, New York was a great experience. I, I went over there and worked for a finance publication that was part of the Financial Times. Um, I learned that Americans have an insane work culture where they just work <laughs> such long hours and are so 
want to sit at their desk and be the, you know, the last person to leave the office. They they don't take holiday. It was very like culturally from a work point of view was very different to working in the UK. I think I was the only person who took my full holiday allocation in a year. Um, people did and they and they found that quite strange that I was open and fine about that. Um, but I think that's really interesting to learn about how different cultures work, um, particularly when you think, OK, America, they speak the same language as us. There's, we see so much of the US on TV and film. And so you think that it would be a very similar culture. But I also found that people were so helpful, really welcoming. I mean, I went over there and didn't really know anyone else um, living in New York and you know, built up a group of friends, um, found work contacts really, really helpful. So I think, I guess I sort of kind of learnt two sides of it. I was quite happy to get back to the UK and like a much bigger holiday allowance <laughs> and not being in the office till 10pm. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds fun. And as you said, you know, we see so much of America on TV and that kind of gives us the perception of one kind of area of life but you know when you go there and you actually work there as you said it's completely different and um, mm. I'm not gonna lie on tv it never really seemed that they were working these huge hours as they do in <laughs> real life it was unexpected to hear that <laughs> but I think it was also um, despite that despite the long hours I think it was great to just the opportunity came up and I thought, why not? Um, yeah. I didn't know anyone there. It was quite a daunting prospect to move. Um, and actually, when I first moved there, Hurricane Sandy had just hit. And so half of Manhattan didn't have any power. Um, I think the office had, like didn't have power when I first got there. Um, so I think it would have been quite easy to say this feels a bit scary and I don't want to do it. But I'm so glad I did. And I stayed for two years in the end. And it was such a great experience, not only for my my career and kind of furthering my career but also personally I think to take on that challenge and then realize that even though it's really scary I can do it and can kind of survive and enjoy it. Definitely. So what would you say are your tips that you would maybe give girls or young women when they start to think about their own careers and their own futures because you know not everyone has everything planned out to the second like some people do um so what tips would you give you know anyone I think that would be my first one is like don't fixate on an idea of what you want to do be flexible as opportunities come up or maybe as your preferences change I think some of the things you know when you're picking GCSEs or A-levels or even your degree you're still really young at that point and to expect you to know what you want to do for the rest of your life is I think a bit unrealistic and so a bit like the example of I decided that I wanted to go into medicine and then realised that actually I didn't enjoy it if I'd been so fixated on that plan I would have stuck out that and probably been quite miserable and also probably not done very well so I think it's really good to be flexible um it's nice to have an idea of where you want to go but opportunities pop up all the time and I think it's really good to be open to that um I also think you should be persistent though if there's something that you really want then don't take no for an answer within reasonable bounds but um so when I first applied to university, I decided that I wanted to do journalism at University of Sheffield. And I kind of decided pretty much that was the only place I wanted to do it. Um, and I got rejected first time. They 
didn't like my application. Um, so I wrote a letter to them with an example of all of the work that I'd done during school um, and sent it into them and appealed the decision. And then I ultimately got in um, and I then had a great experience when I was there. And I think it's a good example of how I was really disappointed when I didn't get in. And I thought, well, what's the harm in writing a letter and saying that I really want to come? And I think they were quite impressed by you know, that enthusiasm and that tenacity. And that meant that I ultimately got in. So I would definitely say, be persistent. Don't always take, you know, the first answer. Um, if if you think that there's some wiggle room, maybe. Definitely. So if you could spend an hour just chatting to, you know, three people um, over a coffee, or some entirely honest, whatever, you know, you wanted to eat or drink at that time, who would they be <laughs> and why? Um, just P.S. They can be dead if that is someone that you want to talk to. Okay. This is a really tricky one. I think um, there are so many people uh, that I would love to speak to. I'm going right, to try and whittle it down. So I think, firstly, um, the Queen. I think I'm not a massive royalist, but I think she met so many amazing people in her lifetime and lived through Definitely. so many different eras that I think it would be so interesting just to talk to her just about all of the things that she saw. Also, I'm quite intrigued about, you know, just general daily life in Buckingham Palace and how that actually works. So it'd be quite good to peek behind the curtain on that. Um, and then I think another very different example would be um, Catelyn Moran. So she's a journalist. Um, she works at The Times. She's written lots of books on, um, you know, feminism, how to be a girl, how to be a woman. I think she is she comes across as very funny in our writing. So I think that she would provide some good comic relief. But um, she's got such amazing views. And I just think it would be really interesting to spend time with her. Um, and then I think maybe deeper in history, I would say maybe say Emmeline Pankhurst. I think it would be really interesting just to hear about that whole different era when women's rights were next to nothing and they were so different to today and just to talk about that suffragette struggle and um how she went about that I think it would just be really interesting and would probably really highlight how far we've come today even if we think that we've got so much further to go definitely so finally what would you say are your non-negotiables so just the things that you really won't that you really don't want to compromise on in both your personal and your professional life? Um, I think professionally, because I'm in a role where I speak on behalf of a company. So I'm a spokesperson for a company and I go out and, and um, represent that company. I would never work for a company where I didn't believe in the underlying cause or the underlying company. So at the moment, I help people to decipher their finances and I um, help people to invest. And I think that that's a really important thing to do. And I think that more of society and particularly more women should be engaging with their finances and should be investing. So it's something I'm really passionate about. I don't think I could ever work for a company where I didn't believe in that underlying cause. Um, and then personally, I think it would be I've, so I've got a young daughter and I think it would be ensuring that I still have a career, but I don't miss out on my daughter growing up. And that's a really tricky balancing act. And some days you yeah. get it right and some days you don't. But I think overall, I would never want to let my career mean that I sacrificed missing my daughter growing up. So it's a daily juggle, but it's something that I'm quite 
uh, feel really strongly about. I would never want yeah. to her to get to, you know, 18 and think I've missed out on a large chunk of her life. Um, and I do think now, you know, talking about the, the changes that women have gone through, I think it's entirely possible to have a successful career and also, you know, see your children and watch them grow up. Um, it's just a bit of a juggle. Yeah, definitely. So, well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today, Laura. Thank you so, so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their own lives and their own futures and their own careers. So keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as I talk to many more brilliant women. And more details about us and our upcoming summits are at reachnextgeneration.com. Thank you to our sponsors and partners, Barclays, Domestic in General, AJ Bell, All Saints, Kellogg's, The Vita Group, and City in the Community. Yeah.